0: We began last week a a new series of messages called Defining Church, and, and we began by talking about the importance of church. And that is a little different, I think, for everybody, but what we looked at was Jesus' attitude towards church and why he thought it was important. And we learned that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church, that Jesus established the church. And so what we began to discover last week is the church is important because of Jesus' attitude towards the church. Because of what Jesus invested in the church. Because this is Jesus' church. And I want to encourage you, if you were not here last week or you slept through it for some reason, then to to get a copy of the CD or go online and listen to that. And I'm not asking you to do it because I get royalties from it, because I don't. It is foundational. If we want to appreciate the church, we need to know just how important the church is to Jesus who founded it. And once we've got that, we've got a good foundation then for defining church and for going on to figure out not only what the church is, but how I am a part of it. Today, we want to actually look more at the definition, I guess, of church. Uh, and the, as w- if you do, if you, if you were to go to your, bi- uh, your dictionary and open it up and begin to, to look at the definition of church, you'd see there were a number of things that were there. It, you'll find out that one of the things that it says a church is is a building. And we use that. That's kind of common vernacular. If, um, if someone showed up at McDonald's this morning and they said, I'm looking for Grace Fellowship, then the person at McDonald's might say, well, you just continue like you're going into town and it'll be up there on the left. It will be up there on the left. What are they talking about? They're talking about the building, the meeting place of Grace Fellowship. But that's, that's just kind of common terminology. You and I use that. Another way that church is used is For the worship service itself, where did you go this morning? Well, I went to Sunday school or Bible study, uh, and then to church. What we're saying is, I went to worship, but but we use the word church in replacement for the worship service. That's just kind of a common way that we do it. The church is also seen as the denomination—the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Catholic church. You you look at it as a larger unit, but we also talk about church as being the universal church, all believers everywhere. But I guess our most common reference to it is the local church. Not the building, but the people. We are the church. We are Grace Fellowship. Not the building, but the people. Now, that's, a, that's one way to discover what church is, by asking people what they think church is, or by going to a dictionary and discovering it. But there's another way, and that way is to actually go back and, and begin to comb through the New Testament and discover from there what the church is and that's what we want to do over the course of these next few days who the church is and and what the church does and who we're to be but this morning I'd like us to actually take a look at a Greek word ecclesia ecclesia now here's the good news there's not going to be a test on this but this is the word that is most often in your Bibles translated as church so wouldn't it be good to know what ecclesia actually meant at the time And ecclesia was an interesting word. It is actually a combination of two words that means to be the called out ones. It's a combination of a word that means out of and to call. And so the called out ones are the church. Does that help us to understand church a little bit more? That we are the called out ones, that we are in some way separated from the crowd, separated from everyone else. Called out. It's interesting when you find Jesus walking along and he calls people to follow him. That was his words. He he says, follow me. And it says they left what they were doing and followed him. That's being called out. It's being set apart for a purpose. And so that's helpful for us to know as we consider what church is. Originally, when this term ecclesia was used outside the Bible, it was used for an assembly. Any time a, a gathering of people came together, it was an ecclesia. For instance, a, a public gathering, it, they may be deciding on uh, a new well in town. And so they'd call the community together, an assembly, an ecclesia together, in order to uh, discuss it and to vote on it. Kind of like the big town meeting kinds of things. A town meeting would be an ecclesia. We also find, even in the New Testament, this word can be used even for a mob. As a matter of fact, a couple of times in the New Testament, we see this word Ecclesia is used for a a mob. But a mob is a group out of a larger section that has a purpose and that's gathered. And so that helps us begin to understand what this term Ecclesia means. In the New Testament, twice it's used as the assembly of Israel or the Israelites. And this means that at this point, they're talking about Israel. But if you want to see, by far, what the New Testament teaches on the word Ecclesia, then if you take a look at it, you'll find that in the New Testament, more than anything else, it's used to refer to the church, either universal or, most of the time, the local church. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind. The church, this word Ecclesia means to be called out, for a purpose. A group that's called out, assembled for a purpose. Now that's the word that is translated as church in your New Testament. There's another word from which we derive our English word church that's also a Greek word that came to be used a little bit later on. And that word is kyriakon. Again, no test on this. And this word means belonging to the Lord. This word was originally used to describe God's people, Christians, people belonging to the Lord. Only later did it start to refer to a building, a place belonging to the Lord. Now, with these two Greek words in mind for church, this tells us something. What it tells us is the church is A unique gathering of God's people called out from the world for a special purpose. It is not a building. Now I'm not going to if you if you go hey uh, you know Grace Fellowship's located you know at uh, at 1971 South Main Street. I'm not going to fuss at you for doing that. I mean I fall into that too because it's normal. This is what we learn as kids and sometimes what we teach. Do you remember this? Here's the church here's the steeple open the doors see all the people well that's what we teach we teach that this this building is the church a building with a steeple is the church but that's not the reality of it biblically in the new testament this is the church there's a huge difference. And once we begin to think about the church, not as a building, but once we begin to think about the church as the called out followers of Jesus Christ who have a purpose and who assemble together, there we're getting the hang of it. We're getting onto the right mode of thinking to consider the church as we move along in this. And the church is a unique gathering. We have a unique mission, a unique purpose. And this morning, I'm excited to share with you a few brief verses of Scripture that help us to understand a little bit more about how unique a gathering we are. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you a few minutes to find that. We're going to look at verses 19 to 25. The reason I'm having you look it up, even though it'll be on the screen and even though it's printed in your handout, is I want you to be able to go back and look at this later in the week. See what came before it. See what comes after it. Get a broader context of what's being spoken here to the church. Now, while you're looking, I'll let you know, this book is called Hebrews because uh, Bible scholars believe that it was a letter written to Jewish Christians. It was written to, in other words, a church. Just happened to be composed of people who had a Jewish background. Completed Jews, if you will. People who followed Jesus, but had a Jewish heritage. That's to whom this letter is written. It's not written to an individual. It is written to the church. The people. All right, if you found it, in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 19 to 25. Now... Stick your finger in there so that you don't lose the place. And I'd like you to stand with me and let us together read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. But instead of reading out of the various translations, I'm going to ask you to read along with me out of the uh, New International Version, which is on the screen in front of you. Let's then declare the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father God, help us to understand and apply this word to our lives and to our church. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. This morning, I just, out of this passage, there's so much. This is absolutely chock full. We could spend hours and hours and hours and hours on this passage. But what I'd like to highlight for you this morning is three truths to a unique gathering of followers of Jesus Christ that may enhance your experience being a part of the life of the church. And the first truth is this. We're encouraged to enter the presence of God. We are encouraged to enter the presence of God. Now, folks, I got to tell you right here, this is an earth-shattering truth that most of you met with a yawn. This is an incredible invitation to enter into the holy presence of God. And I don't know if you noticed it as the the terminology that was being used in these verses, it's pretty powerful stuff. To enter the most holy place. What What is that talking about? Well, if we were to get in a time machine and transport ourselves back to the time of jesus and up through even to 70 a.d we would find that in jerusalem there was a temple and the temple had a number of divisions a number of courts and there were people that could progress a certain distance and then they had to stop and then there were a select group from there that could go further and a select group from there that could go further For instance, there was the court of the Gentiles, and Gentiles could go there, but if they weren't Jews, they couldn't go any further. There was a court of women, women could only go so far, and then if you weren't a woman, you couldn't go any further. But there was, in the innermost place, a place called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. It is there that God said, place the Ark of the Covenant. It is there where God said, my presence will dwell in in Israel it is there and not just anybody could go in and out in fact only one person could go in and that was a high priest and he could only enter one day of year on the day of atonement that was it and in front of the holy of holies the most holy place was a a a long heavy curtain which shielded the people from the presence of God. And on the day of atonement, among the other sacrifices that would be offered for the guilt of the people, there would be a bull who was slain. And the blood of that bull would be carried by the high priest after he had already made sacrifices for his own sins, would be carried by the high priest into the Holy of Holies, and the blood would be sprinkled there on the ark. It was a sign that of forgiveness and repentance and that the people had a new start. Their sins had been atoned for, that is paid for with the blood of this bull. But only one time a year could this happen and only one person could enter. Do you see that this is what should blow your mind? And this really would have blown their minds because remember, he's writing to Jewish believers who understood the temple very well. And this reference to the most holy place, they would have not met it with a yawn, but with a gasp. You mean the God who created the universe, who spoke and brought all things into being The God who rescued us from Egypt, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who fed us on manna in the wilderness for 40 years, the God who gave us the promised land, the God who said, build my temple here and my presence will be with you always. You mean that God has invited us into his living room. That God has opened the way for us to come into his holy presence where formerly only the high priest could come and he would do that with fear and trembling. But what are we told? Did you look at this? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of not a bull, by the blood of Jesus Folks, that should blow you away. This is the invitation that God has given to His people. Come into my place. Draw near to me. We make God so small. He's the man upstairs, He's the big guy. No, He's God, He's the Almighty. He's the king. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal. That is who God is. And God has said, come into my place. But you're not coming in because you're good enough. It's not coming in because you dressed nice enough. It's not coming in because you've got your hair combed the right way or you're wearing the right cologne. You're not coming in here because you have paid the fee. You're coming in here because the fee was paid for you. By Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross so that you might be made clean and enter my presence. The Bible tells us that when Jesus hung upon the cross and he died, something incredible happened in the temple that had never happened before. That curtain I told you about that hung between the most holy place and the remainder of the temple. That curtain that divided the presence of God from the presence of the people. That curtain was torn in two. Now wait a minute. It wasn't that a group of people came in there and demanded to be in God's presence and ripped it in two from the bottom to the top. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was ripped in two from the top to the bottom God ripped it open so that you could come in if you're still meeting that with a yawn reach over and ask the person next to you to slap you if you don't get this nothing else matters This should blow you away. The Almighty God says, I'm making a way through my son Jesus for you to come in. How is that important for us as a church? We think about our Christian faith as kind of a solo thing. It's me and Jesus hanging out. It's me and Jesus going to the ballpark, having a hot dog, watching the game together, sharing a coat. You know, he doesn't have any germs. We'll just share one coat, two straws. We're good. It's me and Jesus. Folks, if we cannot grasp the magnitude of of the God who could speak and bring all things into creation and could speak and bring it all to a close. If we can't grasp how great and awesome our God is and that this God has made a way for us to enter, we will never, ever, 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 ever know the magnitude of the love of God that he had for us. We are ordinary people, and God says, I'm making a way for you to come into my presence And we do it together. That's what we're doing here this morning. You didn't come to hear a sermon. You didn't come to sing a song. You came as a unique gathering of God's people called out from the world to assemble together for a purpose. And that purpose is to cherish the presence of the almighty God. To draw near to him with confidence, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. To draw near to him, to fall down at his feet and say, God, how much must you love me? How much must you love us that you would pay such a high price that we might be here with you? What a great God. What a great love. What a great privilege. I don't care what your politics are. If you got a call from the chief of staff and said, I'd like you to come to the White House, I'd like to meet with you in the Oval Office, you'd be blown away, and you'd be telling everybody and their brother, man, I got a personal call from the president's staff to come and enter into the president's presence and to just share with him and to spend time with him. It would be a big deal. You'd want everybody to know. We, the people of God, have been invited by the king to come into his court and to dwell with him. And yet we don't tell a soul. The first truth, the first truth is we're encouraged to enter the presence of God. The second truth is this. We're challenged to hold on to the hope we profess. Hold unswervingly, it says, to the hope that you profess. Now again... Notice, this is not you hold on to, unswerving to the hope you profess. What we read here is, let us hold on to the hope that we profess. Why? Because quite frankly, we can't do it on our own. We need other people to help us hold on. I encounter this all the time. There are people whose hope is frazzled, whose lives are frazzled. There are people who are, who are barely hanging on, and they need to know. They need to know that there's a God who cares about them, that there's eternal truth to guide them, that they have a community of believers who will come around them. They need that desperately. Do you know how hard it is to hold on to hope? But you don't have to do it alone. That's one of the greatest blessings about being a part of this unique gathering of God's people. You do not have to do it alone. Now, you can do it alone by your choice, but you don't have to do it alone. One of the neat things that I get out of my grace group and out of my Sunday morning Bible study, one of the neat things that I get is I realize that I don't come in with all the answers. Sometimes I come in with a lot of questions. But together, we begin to understand and comprehend God's word. And God may have spoken something to you for me. Just as much as God spoke something to me for you. And even though I may lead a group, I tell you folks, I need that. And there's so many... And this is not meant to be critical or in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But there's so many of you, you're making this harder than it has to be. You're not relying on other people to help you hold on. You're trying to go this solo. You're trying to, you're trying to get out there and and I, and I don't know, live the Christian life apart from the family of God, apart from the connection and this unique gathering of believers. And it's so hard. God has not only invited you into his presence, he's invited you into a community. Well, here's a beautiful thing this morning. This morning we're going to we're going to have baptism this morning. And do you know what baptism is? It's not just it's not going to be Noah's declaration this morning simply that he loves Jesus. But that he's part of Jesus people That's what this is. It's kind of that rite of initiation. It's kind of that that opportunity to stand up and declare, I love Jesus and I love Jesus' people. I love Jesus and I love his church. I need Jesus and I need his church. I need to be a part of this unique gathering. I need to connect my life with the lives of other people. I need to interwa- interwave, interwove, whatever the word is. I need to, to tie myself together with God's people because there are times when I have such a hard time holding unswervingly to the hope. I need someone who will give me a hand. I need someone who will come put their arm around me and say, you can do this. This is real. It's okay. One of the things that dawned on me last night as I sat there meditating on this message is one of the greatest things that I can say as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't care whatever kind of mess your life is in right now, and I don't care how much stuff is falling apart, and I don't care how bad it's got, I can look at you with integrity and say, you know what, it's going to be all right and not be lying to you. I'm not saying your cancer is going to be cured. I'm not saying your wife's going to come back. I'm not saying that your finances are just going to magically overnight become perfect. What I'm saying is, I don't care what happens to you, you have something that cannot ever be taken away from you. You have a hope that is anchored within that veil. You have a hope that is anchored to Jesus Christ. You have a hope that is anchored in truth, that is anchored in integrity, that is anchored in eternity. And nobody and nothing can rip it away from you. But you need people who come alongside you. Let me me give you one quick example. And this was in our Dominican mission trip last year. And there was a lot of spiritual warfare that was going on. And, the, and, the, and the, the enemy came at Matt and Amy Furman. I mean, he came, he pulled up battleships, he pulled up aircraft carriers. I mean, he was pulling out all the stops and aiming it straight at Matt and Amy Furman. They could have fought that battle alone and gotten their butts kicked, but they didn't. As we gathered as a group and as we broke off into twos and threes, they came and they shared, this is what the enemy's doing. And what did we do? We came alongside them and we hugged them and we prayed for them and we prayed with them and we interceded on their behalf and we declared God's truth over them and God's protection over them and their families and they left in victory, not in defeat. Why? Because they had a unique gathering of believers who came around them as part of the body of Christ and said, you are one of us And we together belong to Jesus. We don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do it alone. We help one another hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Christ. And here's the third truth. We're called to come together to encourage one another. This is so neat. Did you see this? Did you see this when you read it? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Th- this blows my mind. I mean, this was written uh, in, in the f- in the first century A.D., okay? This is not written in the 20th century. This was written in the first century A.D. There were already people. Every church churches already had people on the inactive role then. Does it blow your mind? I mean, Jesus hadn't lifted off too long. These people all had to be fairly new believers. And yet they were already drifting away. Don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. What we said earlier was that you need people who will help you hold on. I want to I wanna flip that around and let you know right now that one of the reasons that you need to be gathered in a unique group of assembly of believers that sets itself apart, apart for a purpose, one of the reasons you need to be here is not for you but for other people. See, it gets to be so much about me. What did I get out of church? What did I get out of the message? What did I get out of the music? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm tired of hearing that. I mean, I understand. You, you, you want to receive something. You don't want to come and just get, you know, uh, here's your baby bottle. Just sit here for an hour and go home. I mean, you want to receive. You should have the expectation of receiving. But you're not here simply to receive. By your being here this morning, you are encouraging others. Others. And so on Sunday morning and you wake up and you go, yeah, I just don't feel like going today. Okay, don't come for you. Come for them. Come for someone else. Don't make it about you. How can I encourage someone else? Instead of expecting church to be this big funnel that runs everything down to me, Let me flip it upside down. How many people can I encourage today? How many people can I uplift today? How many people can I inspire today? How many people can I pray for today? How many people can I give a warm handshake or a warm hug to today? How many people can I, because of what Jesus has done for me, how many people can I make a difference in the life of today? You see, it's not just about you. One of the greatest sources of encouragement is for you to come in here and to see that there are other people here too. That you, they're not alone. And simply by being here, you are an encouragement to others. So, one of the things we're trying to teach our our kids, and one of the reasons why. Over the next few weeks, we're going to have some of our children and teenagers who are going to be helping part it to lead worship because they need to understand what most adults don't understand is they're not just here to get something, they're here to give something. They're not just here to be encouraged, they are here to encourage. That's part of being this unique gathering, this unique assembly of God's people called out for the world called to a purpose, is that you can now encourage others as you have been encouraged. So what have we seen here? What what have we seen from this passage? We've seen three truths about the church of God that we need to take to heart. First of all, we're invited to enter into the awesome eternal presence of the living God. You and I, as God's people, are invited to come in. And we're told in, in, in the scriptures that God, uh, one, one translation says he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells within the praises of his people. God is with you always, but there is something special about the gathering of God's people for worship that nothing else matches. God shows up here when we worship together. He shows up here in a way that is different and unique from any other time he'll show up in your life. And So the first thing is we're, we're called to gather. The, the second thing that we're called to do is that, that we are called to come alongside other believers and help them hold on to the hope that they have in Christ. And i got to tell you, because I know some of your stories, there's some of you that are hanging on by your fingernails right now. And you need somebody He'll come put an arm around you and lift you up. And the third truth is that you're here to encourage other people. It's not just about you. It's about the difference that you can make in their lives simply by coming alongside them. This morning when we celebrate baptism, we celebrate the life we have in Jesus and the life that we have in his church. And as we do, I pray that the testimony of this young man and his act of following will not only bless your hearts, but it would challenge you in your own faith walk.